Hello and welcome to Alita Dogma Shades of Murder, a podcast where I will share and discuss tales of true crime, mysteries, and all things dark and macabre. If you eat plain dream and shades of murder like me, then welcome, my kindred spirits, to your new podcast home. If you enjoy the show, please remember to follow and subscribe, share and rate, so I can present more stories to you, and we can all embrace the love, the darkness together. All of my social media and contact information you can find in the episode description below. Please be forewarned that each episode contains specific and at times very graphic and disturbing details of the case and may not be intended for all audiences. Intimate partner homicide is the intentional killing of a current or former intimate or romantic partner. This is a never-ending phenomenon that all females face the possibility of in their lifetime. And studies have revealed that violence toward women on an international scale continues to increase. Based on records submitted by law enforcement agencies, there were approximately 4,970 females murdered in 2021 in the United States alone. Of these girls and women killed, 36% of them were murdered by an intimate partner, which is five times higher than men who were killed by an intimate partner. In fact, on average, three women are murdered by an intimate partner in this country every single day. The methods by which women are killed by their intimate partners are overwhelmingly executed with brutality and violence. The vast majority of these women are stabbed, beaten to death, or die from strangulation. Women who were the ex-spouses or ex-girlfriends of the perpetrator had the highest risk of being murdered. Research has exposed that between 20 to 30% of these murders were precipitated or triggered by the separation, the ending of the relationship, or even the mere prospect of abandonment. Of these murders, 50% were perpetrated within two months and 90% of these intimate partner homicides were committed within one year after the relationship was over. When a woman finds the strength and confidence to end a toxic relationship, that is when she has the greatest chance of being murdered. This is the story of Latricia Phipps, whose cold case would be solved almost two decades after she disappeared. On November 20th, 2002 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 31-year-old Latricia Phipps vanished after leaving work one day with her former boyfriend of hers, Joseph Gilbert Calvert. She had called her mother before she left to let her know that he had offered her a ride home so they could pick up her kids from daycare together. But Latricia never made it home. Her mother, Sheila Owen, felt like something wasn't right when she called Latricia over and over again, and she never answered her phone. When the daycare called to inform her that the children were still waiting for their mother to arrive, She knew in her heart that something terrible had happened to her daughter. An eyewitness that day saw Latricia leave with Joseph Calvert in his Isuzu rodeo. Her ex-boyfriend swore to her family and to the police that he dropped her off safe and sound, but Latricia was never heard from or seen again. Different potential leads were called into law enforcement over the years, but nothing seemed to pan out until one day in June of 2010, A specific tip brought police officers, along with archaeologists, to dig at a location with the hopes of being able to excavate the remains of the missing woman, Latricia Phipps. 
there was a strong possibility that she had been buried there eight years prior. Their tip led to the unearthing of a body, but sadly, it was not that of Latricia Phipps. Afterward, other random tips and potential leads would pour in from time to time, but sooner than later, once again, the case of the missing mother went cold. At the time of Latricia Phipps' disappearance, a much younger woman named Shanna Renee Ramsey, who was barely 21 years old, had been seriously dating Joseph Calvert, and in fact was living with him. One night in August of 2012, while residing in New Mexico, a concerned neighbor called the police to report a woman was behaving erratically and hysterically. When the police arrived, they found a highly intoxicated Shannon Renee, who was now Joseph Calvert's wife. Through her drunken rant, she confessed to the police how her husband murdered someone back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and forced her to watch the whole thing. The Tulsa Crime Stoppers were provided with the information given to the police in New Mexico, but Shannon Renee had used the wrong name of the victim, calling her Latricia Phelps instead of Latricia Phipps. Although I do understand that Shannon Renee provided them with an incorrect last name, which is most likely the exact name that the police used to search the missing person database. But given how closely related the phonetics of the names were, I would think that the police in Tulsa would have noticed the similarities between the name provided by Shanna Renee and the missing person in their database, Latricia Phipps, and looked at the information a bit more carefully. I mean, how many Latricias could there have been in Tulsa, much less women named Latricia who had gone missing? It's probably not fair for me to judge the investigators, considering they probably had limitations on their technology which is often the case for law enforcement. On a side note, I have always found it really ironic and terrible that an institution, which in many respects needs technology more than any other industry in order to execute its operations to the best of its ability, has severe limitations on its technology that can stall and even prevent a diligent investigation from taking place. This is one area within law enforcement that we should all be supporting an increase in their budget, no matter what one's beliefs may be regarding the funding of law enforcement, because the strength of their technology can potentially affect all of our lives. In January 2013, Shannon Renee relocated back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Fortunately, this time, the allegations she had made against her husband were listened to. She was interviewed by the Tulsa Police Department and revealed to them that Trisha Phipps had been killed by Joseph Calvert and that she had been an eyewitness to the crime. Shanna Renee explained she was too frightened of him at the time to tell anyone. For reasons that can only be fully understood and which were known to the Tulsa Police Force, neither Shanna Renee nor Joseph Calvert were pursued any further at the time of this confession. Based on what I do know about criminal law, I would speculate that the district attorney was likely apprehensive to pursue murder charges for two reasons. First of all, without a body, cases of homicide, although not impossible, are significantly more difficult for the prosecution to present a case that a jury will believe without a doubt. Without any physical evidence to indicate that a violent crime has even happened, much less murder, such a case is based upon purely circumstantial evidence. In order to convince a jury that the defendant is guilty and thus garner a conviction, there cannot be any holes in the sequence of events that the prosecution lays out, and all testimony 
must be reliable. We have seen how catastrophic a poorly laid out prosecution plan can go in a no-body case, such as in the case of Casey Anthony. Secondly, the eyewitness is an angry, uneducated, and abused wife of the accused, a drunk, and at least at one time was known to be a meth addict. Needless to say, her confession could be merely hearsay or a way to enact revenge against her abusive husband. The case at least was no longer cold, though, and law enforcement continued to investigate Latricia Phipps' disappearance. In 2014, Latricia's mother, Sheila Owens, spoke to the press about how frustrated she was that her daughter's case was still not going anywhere, even though the police knew who her daughter's killers were. She shared how concerned she was that justice would never be served, since one eyewitness had already died, another had fallen very ill, and that time was not on their side. The grieving mother expressed how she feared that she would be dead before the couple was arrested and the case would be solved. Sheila Owen also stated that she thinks the death penalty would be too good of a sentence for Joseph Calvert and that she wanted him to suffer the rest of his life in prison and think every day about what he did and why he was there. On a side note, I have complicated feelings and opinions regarding the death penalty, but I tend to lean toward a similar belief as Latricia's mother holds. From what I know of our prison system for the most part, being subjected to the conditions and strong chances of violation, abuse, and violence a prisoner faces while being incarcerated would incite more suffering than being isolated away on death row for upwards of 20 years while you get to work on the appellate process multiple times. Finally, in 2018, 16 years after Latricia Phipps had gone missing, Shannon Renee, now 37 years old, and Joseph Calvert, 66 years old, were arrested on a wide array of charges, including first-degree murder, kidnapping, possession of methamphetamine, and drug paraphernalia, in addition to the possession of false identification. During the trial, the prosecution painted a picture between the defendant and the victim, which involved long-term abuse, manipulation, and control, and how when their relationship ended, Joseph Calvert could not let her win. Things between Joseph Calvert and Latricia Phipps had become increasingly more hostile over the last few months, ever since she had ended their volatile seven-year relationship. In fact, a witness testified to hearing a tense conversation between the two on the phone the night prior to Latricia having gone missing, where she heard the victim Latricia say to Calvert, and I quote, Joe, don't threaten me because I know too much on you. It was later revealed by the evidence presented by the prosecution that Joseph Calvert had abducted Latricia Phipps on the afternoon he picked her up from her job in Catoosa, Oklahoma. According to Shannon Renee, Latricia and Joseph had unexpectedly arrived at the residence he and Shannon Renee had shared. An argument ensued, and the three of them all left together to go to a house that Joseph had been remodeling. Once there, Latricia was drugged with sleeping pills that had been secretly crushed and stirred inside a drink Joseph Calvert brought her. He then informed her that they were all going on a little trip. He forced the now-drug-induced Latricia into handcuffs and shoved her petite, five-foot, 105-pound frame inside his army duffel bag. The three of them drove off in his Isuzu rodeo toward New Mexico. 
somewhere in the Texas Panhandle vicinity, which was believed to be in Amarillo. They pulled over for the night. Joseph Calvert released Latricia from the army duffel bag and dragged her into the rundown motel room while still in handcuffs. Shannon Renee alleged that when she woke up in the middle of the night, she found her boyfriend Joseph and his ex-girlfriend Latricia, who were now handcuffed to one another, having sex in the room. She was taken aback by the sight, but instead of making a scene, Shannon Renee allegedly decided to smoke some meth and take a shower. Once dawn hit, the three of them left the motel not long after, with Latricia still handcuffed. They made a brief stop at a Circle K convenience store and took on car in New Mexico, and then they drove to San Isidro, New Mexico, which was Joseph Calvert's hometown. They dropped by his uncle's house, but since he was not there, they spent time visiting a national park nearby instead. Calvert, according to Shannon Renee, proudly showed off what he considered to be his local park to both herself and Latricia, who was now no longer handcuffed and was sharing a joint with the couple. She alleged that Calvert and Latricia were interacting with each other as if they were a couple again, sharing hugs and kisses, laughing and playing around together. Shanna Renee broke off from the two of them so that she could find an area isolated enough to get high again and smoke more meth. Then a little while after, all three of them returned to the SUV and drove off onto the highway again. When the night sky began to rise, Joseph Calvert pulled off on the side of the road to a desolate spot so Shanna, Renee, and Latricia could watch the beautiful moon as it climbed over the desert landscape of New Mexico. As the three of them were walking into an adjacent field, out of nowhere, Joseph placed his arm around Latricia and said to her, Just think you could get away with it? What were you thinking, bitch? Calvert violently threw Latricia down to the desert floor and squeezed his hands around her neck. Latricia struggled against his grasp and did her best to push him off her, clawing at his face. His hands tightened around her neck, strangling her. Joseph Calvert then directed Shanna Renee to hold Latricia's feet so she could not escape. Shanna Renee obliged. Latricia kicked her in the face and even managed to bite her. Latricia flew her body every which way, doing everything she could to free herself from her two assailants, whom only moments before she had been watching the moon rise with. Latricia kept on fighting them and found ways to pull herself up off the ground and away from Joseph's choking grip around her throat over and over again. Joseph Calvert grew enraged at her endless fight against him, so he held her firmly down on the ground and strangled her until she stopped breathing. Latricia was dead. His last words to her were, and I quote, Mommy loves you. What Shanna Renee claimed was meant to be in reference to their three-year-old foster daughter. To me, these words are disturbing and twisted, and I don't believe for a moment that he said it for his daughter. That makes zero sense, because he said words that she would have said to her daughter. And in her last few seconds of life, he said them as if he were the mother now, not her. If that does not show the extent of his depravity, I don't know what does. Joseph Calvert then placed her deceased body in the backseat of the vehicle. They drove another 30 minutes to a different area of the isolated desert and then buried her body in Arroyo, which is a wash or dry creek bed in the middle of nowhere. Joseph Gilbert Calvert was such a narcissist and so arrogant, believing that he had gotten away with murdering Latricia Phipps, that he even boasted to a fellow friend, Terry Brimer, a few days after killing her, 
that he had just gotten rid of a problem. Terry Brimer testified in court for the prosecution and shared how Calvert told them that no one would ever be able to find this person. When Terry inquired with him as to who he was speaking of, he said Trish, which was the well-known nickname for Latricia Phipps. This testimony, in addition to the eyewitness testimony by his accomplice in the crime, Shannon Renee, was further supported by Joseph Cowart's own admission of his picking up the victim on the day and time of her disappearance. He also relayed years later that he and Shannon Renee had driven to New Mexico shortly after Latricia had gone missing and had stayed at a motel in Texas along the way. One of the investigating detectives during the initial interview of Joseph Covered testified to having observed an injury on his forehead the day after Latricia Phipps disappeared. Um, hello, we all know as true crime fans that wounds or injuries on a potential lead suspect are almost always indicative of defense wounds, which are obvious signs of a struggle that occurred between the victim and their perpetrator. Why? Joseph Calvert was not looked at harder due to this reason alone is beyond me. But once again, less than stellar investigative work conducted by law enforcement led to a case going cold for decades when it potentially never needed to. It was believed by law enforcement throughout the years of the investigation that Joseph Calvert and Shanna Renee were intentionally residing, aka hiding out in New Mexico to thwart further suspicion. Would it really have been so impossible to determine where Joseph Calvert and Shauna Renee had fled, based on where he was born and spent most of his earlier years? What if the homicide detective who noticed the injury to Calvert's forehead would have, oh, I don't know, used his instincts, as well as circumstantial evidence of his being the last known person to have been with Latricia Phipps when she disappeared, to attempt to find the couple once they left town? Did they believe that was just a coincidence that the victim's ex-boyfriend, whom the people in Latricia's life could have attested to having had a tumultuous and negative relationship with, was the last person to see her on the day and within the exact time frame she vanished? Wow, I mean, I try my best to not clump in all police departments together. I certainly don't want to imply that they are all incompetent, lack intelligence, and are completely void of strong instincts, on top of being oblivious or straight-up neglectful to obvious evidence of a crime, because there are some amazing police officers and detectives. But oh my, what can I say except Tulsa, Oklahoma police? In his 2022 appellate case, Calvert v. State, the appellant claimed, amongst many other allegations of trial error, that Oklahoma does not have the statute within its law to allow for the prosecution of the defendant when the murder happened in the state of New Mexico, citing issues of jurisdiction. As explained in an earlier episode, jurisdiction is what dictates the area law enforcement agencies are permitted to investigate and prosecute crime. Most states are only allowed to prosecute crimes that occurred within the borders of a particular state, but the felony murder statute can authorize a state or more than one state to prosecute a crime depending upon the circumstances of each case. The appellate court found that the felony murder statute entails that an individual has committed homicide in the first degree, regardless of malicious intent, 
if that individual ends the life of another person while in the process of committing another felony, in this case, kidnapping. Therefore, if the death of another person results from the commission of the abduction or attempted abduction, the person responsible for the crime can be held liable and thus be prosecuted in the state where the initial felony occurred. The felony murder statute can get really crazy and is understandably quite controversial. Now, under the circumstances of Latricia Phipps' murder, I absolutely agree with the parameters of the felony murder statute and that Oklahoma should hold jurisdiction in addition to the state of New Mexico had they chosen to pursue separate charges there. However, many people in society, especially those who become involved in felonious acts, are not aware of the nuances of this statute that can potentially hold them liable for the death of someone, even if they personally were not directly the cause of the individual's death. For example, a person who is the so-called getaway driver, while other individuals are involved in the commission of a burglary, can also be charged with first-degree felony murder if, say, the burglars come upon someone in the home, knock them over the head, and whether with intent or not, that person dies. Even more controversial within this law is even if the death of another person is caused by an accident, like if a resident in the home slips and falls down the stairs out of fear and breaks their neck, or if they have a heart attack and die. If this death happens during the commission of the felony, felony murder charges can be placed on any person who was involved in the initial felony. It's important to let this legal fact sink in and really think about how this statute can severely affect the lives of people who did not directly commit homicide. There are people who have been given life terms of imprisonment for not being the direct cause or being involved in another person's death. They don't even have to be at the exact scene of the crime to be held liable for the death of another human being. There are some who claim this is justified by the person's willful involvement in the initial felony offense. But there are many others, myself included, who feel that there are a lot of situations where the penalties far outweigh the specific offense committed by the defendant. I personally think such an overreaching statute should be applied on a case-to-case basis and that not all felonies should be clumped together under the same degree of felony murder. Legally, the explanation behind this reasoning in the case of Joseph Calvert is as follows. The appellate court held that the homicide was committed during the course of the initial act of the felony, in this case, the kidnapping of Latricia Phipps. This makes the two separate acts so intertwined that they should not be deemed separable in terms of time, place, and causal relation, and that the actions were both incidental and explanatory to one another. In other words, one event, the initial kidnapping, had a direct relationship with the other event, the strangulation of Latricia Phipps, and therefore, they were dependent upon the other to have occurred. The court declared that the victim, Latricia Phipps, had been held under the control of the appellant, Joseph Calvert, from the moment of her abduction in Oklahoma up to the time of her strangulation in New Mexico. The evidence supported the fact that the only purpose the defendant had in taking Latricia on a trip away from her home in Oklahoma to New Mexico was so that she could be murdered and so that he could successfully conceal her body forever 
by burying it in the middle of the desert. This showed how one felonious act which was committed in one state led to a different felony committed in another, which was the requisite nexus or the required binding between the two events that made it into one continuous act. Latricia Phipps had no way of leaving her abductors, and even if she had found a way to escape them, she was a stranger in New Mexico. She didn't know anyone there, nor did she have any means of returning to the state of Oklahoma on her own accord. She was made completely dependent upon her perpetrators. If Shanna Renee's claim was true regarding Latricia having sex with her assailant Joseph Calvert and playing as if they were a couple, it was most likely done by Latricia Phipps being in survivor mode. When someone is placed under such potentially dire circumstances, is drugged, kidnapped, handcuffed, and forced to lie inside a duffel bag on a car trip, how can anyone blame her for doing whatever she had to in order to try and stay alive? Based on the information Shanna Renee provided in her testimony, I cannot help but think that Latricia's intentional manipulation of Joseph Calvert was working in her favor for a while, and that he may have thought twice about his initial plans to kill her. Something obviously changed, though, and quite suddenly, because he returned to his original intentions and abruptly and brutally murdered Latricia. I personally tend to think that Shannon Renee was very jealous of Latricia Phipps and did not appreciate how obsessed her current boyfriend Joseph Calvert was with her. Shannon Renee was possessive of Joseph Calvert. She wanted all of his attention to be placed on her, and it is likely that Shannon Renee implied or outwardly told him that Latricia was playing him for a fool. I happen to believe that they collaborated on her murder and that together they decided to get rid of her for good. I have no proof of this, but based on the evidence and everything Shanna Renee alleged happened over those two days, I think there is a strong possibility that this is the way Latricia Phipps' murder unfolded. Back in 2002, when her daughter initially went missing, all the way up to 2018 when Joseph Calvert was at last arrested for her murder, Latricia's mother, Sheila Owen, always believed that he was the one behind Latricia's disappearance. She never thought for one moment that her daughter had left of her own free will. Latricia had recently adopted a 21-month-old son and been fostering a three-year-old little girl whom she also planned to adopt. Sheila Owen and the rest of Latricia's family made sure that these two children were raised within the family as her daughter would have wished for. At present day, McCall of her son, lives with Latricia's older sister, Anna, and her daughter, Stacy Jo, lives with Latricia's mom. In an interview with Latricia's Phipps mom, sister, and two brothers, they talked about how they liked to remember her. Her sister, Anna, spoke of how they had always been very close. One of her brothers said he always liked to picture her with her infectious smile. Her other brother shared how one moment he could be mad at her, and then she would have him cracking up the next. Latricia was deeply loved by her family, and they miss her every day. Sheila Owen was grateful that finally, her daughter's killers were where they belonged behind bars and that they would be forced to think about their actions. Latricia's sister Anna reflected on how any hopes of seeing her again were now forever taken away, 
but that she was very happy that Joseph Calvert and Shanna Renee had been caught and arrested. She even conveyed to the media how she wished she could have been there when it all went down in New Mexico. Latricia's mother, Sheila Owen, also expressed during the same interview how she really needed Joseph Calvert to reveal where they had buried her. She conveyed how it was difficult enough having her daughter be the victim of such a violent crime, but it made it that much harder not knowing where her daughter's body is. She said, and I quote, even if there isn't much left, I don't care if I just get one bone, I would know that it's hers. Please just let me have her back. Yet neither Joseph Calvert nor Shanna Renee has ever admitted to where Latricia Phipps remains lie, leaving a hole in this mother's heart, never being able to have even a piece of her daughter return to her. Sheila Owen also stated that the only crime her daughter ever committed was being in love with someone like Joseph Calvert, and that she hoped he would be in prison for the rest of his life to think about what he did to her. Every year, she pays tribute to her late daughter, Latricia, and to other families of missing and murdered people by hosting a vigil of love in their remembrance. It is heartbreaking and disgusting to me how both Joseph Calvert and Shanna Renee are so soulless and absent of regret that they are not willing to provide any information on where Latricia Phipps is buried. It would not make any difference in their lives, but it would mean the world for the family of Latricia to have her body back home with her loved ones. Honestly, I am surprised, given that it was a felony murder case, that the prosecution did not pursue the death penalty. If they had, they could have used it as a bargaining chip against Joseph Calvert to persuade him to tell them where their remains are so that he could avoid capital punishment. This is such a case when the threat of the death penalty hanging over the defendant's head would be justified to be used as a plea bargain. The Oklahoma police, in particular police sergeant Dave Walker, also believed for many years that Joseph Calvert was behind Latricia Phipps' death and that his wife, Shannon Renee, who was his very young girlfriend at the time, helped to cover up his crimes. Sergeant Walker believed that she had assisted in the disposal and concealment of Latricia's body through its burial in the desert, and the couple had been living in New Mexico ever since. Slowly and methodically, the Tulsa homicide detectives built their case around the couple, watching them from afar with agents placed in both Oklahoma and New Mexico for this specific task. I would like to say that I do understand that prosecutors often demand very concise and strong evidence to support charges, especially in cases of no-body murders. However, there seems to have been a lot of important details and information that was offered in their trial by eyewitnesses that would have been just as accessible back in 2002 to gather, in addition to the confession made by Shanna Renee back in 2013. It just seems to me like it took far too long for the prosecution to pursue charges, and this trial could have commenced years before it actually did. Tulsa, Oklahoma made its own history in 2018 when a jury found Joseph Calvert guilty of murder, which had been its first conviction for homicide without a body in 30 years. Joseph Calvert was convicted of first-degree felony murder, which would have made him eligible for the death penalty. Instead, District Judge Clifford Smith handed him a life sentence, 
Under Oklahoma's criminal law of first-degree homicide, this can be defined as a life sentence of 45 years where a mandated 85% of the sentence must be fulfilled before being given the chance of parole. Life imprisonment without the chance of parole or the death penalty. Joseph Calvert must complete 85% of his 45-year sentence. But fortunately for Latricia's loved ones due to his age, he will most likely die in prison before being given the opportunity to be free. Latricia's mother, Sheila Owen, said that she almost passed out when the verdict was read and Joseph Calvert was handed down a life sentence in prison. She felt there was justice since she and her family had been given a life sentence of pain when Joseph Calvert took Latricia away from them. Her sister Anna credited Tulsa Police Department Detective Jason White with finally giving the family and the victim due justice when he picked up investigating the cold case back in 2009 which was his first year as a homicide detective. He kept in close contact with the family over the years and apprised them of any new developments or leads in the case the police were working on. Detective White credits solving the case to teamwork across his own team of detectives, the Tulsa County District Attorney's Office, the police in New Mexico, and Latricia's family, who never once gave up hope on figuring out what had happened to their beloved daughter, sister, and mother. In an interview given to Tulsa News Channel 8, Detective White used the metaphor of a jigsaw puzzle to solve a crime. In some cases, you're given all of the pieces in the box, and in other cases, you're initially only given a few. His instincts told him that Joseph Calvert was the perpetrator in the disappearance of, and most likely the unfortunate death, of Latricia Phipps. Detective White gave everything he had to solve Latricia's case spending an hour here, an hour there, and even spending a significant amount of his own spare time in the case when he was at home, slowly putting all of the pieces of the puzzle at last together. It does renew my faith in law enforcement, in particular the Tulsa Police Department, who at least were wise enough to hire Detective White, who was a testament to the integrity and dedication in law enforcement, which does exist. If it weren't for his tireless commitment to solving this cold case, there most likely would have never been any form of justice for Latricia and her loved ones. Shannon Renee Ramsey was an integral piece in identifying Latricia Phipps' murderer and finally bringing Joseph Calvert to the courts of justice. However, since she was the only eyewitness to Latricia being held hostage and murdered, the Tulsa County District Attorney made a plea deal with her to drop all charges against her in exchange for her testimony against her husband. I do understand that her testimony was ultimately the prosecution's primary weapon against Joseph Calvert, and in order to successfully garner a conviction for first-degree murder without a body, there had to be some leniency in her punishment in exchange. That is the way the system works. However, I find it revolting that this woman, who remained complicit in Latricia Phipps being held against her will, handcuffed, and shoved in a bag across multiple states, complied when she was asked to hold Latricia's feet together to prevent her from freeing herself from Joseph strangling her, and then helped him to bury her body will not do one day in prison. As disgusting as it is, this is not the first time 
nor will it be the last, that I discuss how often this happens in the criminal courts. It is an unfortunate but common element of criminal law that sometimes law enforcement and the prosecution are given the choice between leniency and sentencing and sometimes the complete dismissal of charges for one source of evil in exchange for the severe punishment of the perceived greater evil. This is one of those cases. It is not right, nor is it fair, and it does not give Latricia's family and her loved ones the true justice both of her perpetrators deserved. This legal agreement gave a pass to Shannon Renee, who openly acknowledged how she participated in the murder of Latricia Phipps, a young mother of two small children, who from all records concerned was an all-around lovely and kind person. It is an extremely frustrating and infuriating part of our criminal justice system, when quite often terrible people who have committed all kinds of vile criminal acts get to maintain their freedom and livelihood due to their being worse offenders than they are. Law enforcement and the legal system gauge for a multitude of reasons that it is more important that some offenders face justice over others. I would have charged Shannon Renee with felony murder right along with Joseph Calvert and made a plea bargain with her to face a 20-year prison sentence for her testimony instead of acting like she was not directly involved in the events which culminated in the victim's death. I would like to discuss this case and these perpetrators through the perspective of criminology and the profile of the men who commit intimate partner homicide. Of the men who commit intimate partner homicide, research has found similar traits that such individuals share on a global scale. These offenders are most likely to be in their mid to late 30s, tend to be on average a decade older than their victims. They often did not graduate from high school, were unemployed, or only held menial jobs, and often had substance abuse problems. Studies conducted in cases specifically within the United States, the Netherlands, and Sweden showed a very high percentage of these men had personality disorders, with antisocial personality and narcissism being the most prevalent, and psychosis being very rare. Of these men, depending on the study and location, it was determined that between 20 to 40% of these men had previous criminal records of violence. For those of you who are not very familiar with personality disorders, narcissism is when an individual holds a grandiose view of themselves. This type of person finds themselves to be impressive and superior to others. They have an unquenchable hunger to be admired. Rather than address or perceive any of their own weaknesses, they place the blame on others when things don't go their way. Narcissistic individuals have a high sense of entitlement, are insensitive to others' feelings and needs, and ultimately think everyone in their life is there to serve them. There is a subset of narcissistic personality disorder that seems very fitting to Joseph Calvert. Malignant Narcissism is a combination of both narcissism and antisocial personality disorder. They are often very charming and highly persuasive, easily influencing the behavior and actions of others along their path. This type of person lacks empathy, is often addicted to various vices, and often lives within their own fantasy world. And if and when that bubble bursts, 
they can exert hostility and rage. Joseph Calvert, by all accounts, was an abuser, a drug addict, a manipulator, and a cold-hearted narcissist who wanted things and all people in his life to be under his control. When he lost his hold and power over Latricia Phipps, he wanted to make her pay. Even though he had a new and much younger girlfriend, whom he obviously manipulated and controlled to the extent he could persuade her to help him commit murder, that was not enough for Joseph Calvert. He wanted to prove that he was in control of Latricia and that she would not get away with rejecting him. As Shanna Renee revealed, he and Latricia had sex while handcuffed together in the hotel. This plays into the concept of his fantasy life and how he was so arrogant and lived in his own little world where others should please him that he actually believed that she was just fine with being kidnapped, handcuffed, and shoved into a duffel bag while she was driven against her will across state lines. Research has shown that an individual's propensity towards committing murder is more closely related to that person's character and personality traits rather than a state of psychosis or mental illness. In a study on the relationship between narcissistic personality disorder and homicide, it was discovered that rage-type killings are specifically connected to personality disorders and not any kind of psychotic illness, such as schizophrenia. The research also showed that instrumental homicides that is, homicides that are premeditated and motivated by an end goal versus an impulsive, emotionally driven act are committed in much higher numbers by those who fit the non-psychopathic profile. The killing has also been closely linked to the personality trait of self-entitlement, which can help the perpetrator to believe that they have the right to take that individual's life and that they don't deserve to be nor will they ever be punished for their crimes. Regarding the criminality of Shanna Renee, it would be easy to connect her behavior with her lack of education, her drug addiction, and her absence of a positive support system in her life. But that seems too obvious, and little about her life could be uncovered. She clearly had father issues, considering how much older Joseph Calvert was than her. He was not at all attractive, nor was he very intelligent, much less wealthy. Her seeking out a father figure in him could explain her need for approval and acceptance from him, no matter what the circumstances. Joseph Calvert was a master manipulator, and he likely used Shanna Renee's weaknesses against her. She was very young, easily vulnerable to manipulation, and had a drug dependency which was most likely provided by and fueled by Joseph Calvert, in addition to being a recipient of his physical and emotional abuse. None of these factors excuse the behavior and lack of morals exhibited by Shanna Renee, who assisted in the murder and the disposal of Latricia Phipps' body. But it is important to understand her mindset and the toxic relationship she was in. I could not locate any information on Shannon Renee's background or childhood to make any prospective connection with poverty, abuse, and or lack of parental involvement, leading her to become involved with a man like Joseph Calvert. However, I think it would be safe to presume that she did not come from a great environment, 
and that she was vulnerable to being manipulated, abused, and controlled by a much older man. Again, this in no way condones or negates her involvement, and therefore responsibility to do the right thing from the very beginning. She does not get a pass because she was young, a drug addict, or because she was frightened that Joseph would cause her harm. But in combination, one can have a tiny amount of sympathy for her situation. What I cannot understand is why she built a life with this man. She wasn't just complicit. She assisted in the murder of Latricia Phipps, helped to cover up the crime, and then she married this monster and lived with him in New Mexico for almost 20 years. Even if she was scared of him and was also petrified that she would be charged with Latricia's murder, there are anonymous ways of doing the right thing and contacting the police about what she knew. What is even worse to me is that she is not willing to provide any information as to where Latricia is buried. No, granted, it was at night in the middle of the New Mexico desert, but still, she could try to point them in the right direction. Even in her drug stupor, perhaps there was something in the landscape that stayed with her and that she would remember once she was back there. To me, one of the greatest forms of evil is when an offender is not willing to help the victim's family even have her bones back. There are many people whose loved ones will never be able to find any semblance of peace without the remains of the victim being back home with them. That Joseph Calvert refuses to offer any information to help this happen sickens me. And if I had been on the prosecutor on the case, I would have held the death penalty over his head to make sure he gave the authorities every detail he could recall as to where he buried the body. Honestly, I would not be surprised if he or even both he and Shannon Renee returned to the scene of the crime at some point, and they remember more than they are willing to share. What are your thoughts on Shannon Renee's involvement in the murder of Latricia Phipps? Was it worth her getting away without any punishment for her role in the crime to ensure her testimony against Joseph Calvert? Thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to reach out to me with any questions, comments, and suggestions you may have for the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for being here with me, and I'm beyond thrilled to be your host. Until next time, be safe and watch out for shades of murder that could be happening in the streets next door and especially inside your own home. Alita Dogma Shades of Murder was created, written, researched, and edited by Alita Dogma. Music composed by Ashton Danilian, courtesy of Pixabay. <laughs>